Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. You would please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're beginning in verse 11 and reading through verse 44. This is God's Word. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. 
When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. We know about Palm Sunday. We know the story. We know that people were cheering and they were so exuberant in their worship, they were taking their clothes off and putting them down in the road for Jesus to ride over. It was a joyous time, but the people still were not listening to what Jesus was saying. They thought, as it says at the beginning of this passage we read today, that the kingdom was about to appear. It's all about to happen. Jesus is going to overthrow Rome. We're going to have our taxes lowered. It's all going to be good. That wasn't the plan. They didn't understand. But Jesus knew what was about to happen that very week. Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed and horribly tortured and then crucified. He knew all that. And Jesus also knew that he was going to rise again from the dead and that he would ascend to the Father and that he would send the Holy Spirit and that one day he would return in glory, not on a colt, but on a war horse, and that there would be judgment. Jesus knew this. He not only knew the short-term story, he knew the long-term story. And so even though the people didn't get it, Jesus told them what was going to happen. I want us to focus, therefore, in this passage on the parable that Jesus gave leading up to the triumphal entry. Because this is what Jesus said in order to prepare his followers for what was coming. And the fact that they didn't get it doesn't mean we shouldn't. Because you see, now we're able to look back on what happened. And this becomes clearer for us. The parable is often overlooked. The focus of most is on the triumphal entry. But Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And so he tells about a man who entrusted a limited amount of funds to a number of his servants. And he gave them instructions. He said, put this money to work until I come back. Now, I just want to point out 
This applies to us. All of us have been entrusted by God with certain things. Not everybody gets the same things. Jesus would tell various versions of this story in different settings to remind us that we're going to give an account for what we do with what's been entrusted to us. But Jesus says he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Now, the judgment here, he only gives three examples. One who had earned ten with his, the mina that he was given, this coin that he was given, he increased it tenfold. Another increased it fivefold. Another didn't increase it at all because he totally disobeyed what he was told. They were all told, put this money to work until I come back. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not you might want to do this. All of us have been entrusted by God with treasure. What are you doing with what he's given you? Just trying to spend it? Or are you looking for ways to leverage what God has entrusted to you in order to grow it, in order to benefit others? No, I mean, sorry, is this one of those health and wealth things and, you know, you're just telling us that if we, if we love God and work hard, everybody's going to get rich? No, 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 not at all. My father worked very, very hard and never became rich because my dad wasn't looking to make money. But my brother, who became a megachurch pastor, told me in his world travels, speaking to large missions organizations and so forth, he was astounded how many people in positions of leadership in international missions would come up to him at those conferences and say, your dad baptized me. He led me to Christ, he baptized me, he discipled me, and he encouraged me to pray about going into international missions. My brother John said, all around the world, for decades I have met the fruit of dad and mom's labor. They invested so much in people. I got a call just the other day from a 93-year-old who, again, was led to the Lord by my dad and mom, discipled by them, and went to the mission field. And you know what their kids are doing? Their kids are in international missions, with the exception of one, who's a lovely Christian who works as a flight attendant. Now, what is this about? It's about considering what God has given you. What has he given you? He's given you time. He's given you the scriptures in your own language so that you can study and learn and understand them. And he's given you contacts with other people that you can love and care for and share with. And the seed of the gospel will bring forth a harvest. It may be a little or it may be much, but it will bring forth a harvest. If you invest your life on behalf of others and show them the love of Jesus and tell them the good news, don't 
don't just try and show them. Tell them. The Bible says that we're supposed to proclaim the good news. Well, I don't think everybody's supposed to be a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher. You just need to be a witness. You don't need to tell what you don't know. You don't have to be an attorney. You just need to be a witness. You know the difference between an attorney and a witness? A witness just tells what they know. The attorney tries to make the case. Let the Holy Spirit be the attorney. You be the witness. You tell who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So, Jesus said that the one who gave them the coin said, put it to work until I return. But then there's something absolutely pivotal that happens. After Jesus has entrusted them with what they are to steward, his subjects hated him, it says. It doesn't say they weren't as fond of him as they were of some others. They hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. That is the natural response of the unsaved human heart toward God. Hatred, hostility, enmity. That's what God says about our natural condition. If you think people are basically good, you are clueless. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? We're not just bad. We're so bad we can't even figure out how bad we are. That's our natural state. But God came to seek and to save that which was lost. Remember, that was the verse right before where we started today. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. When we were his enemies, go all the way back to the garden. God goes in search of man. Adam, where are you? It's not because God doesn't know. It's because God sought us out there in the garden. When man had rebelled and sinned against God and done exactly what he said not to do, God could have simply destroyed man and started over. But instead, God's plan was to redeem. Was there judgment? Yes. Was there redemption? Yes. They had tried to make a covering for their nakedness, and they were totally unsuccessful. And they hid in the plants. Stupid. So stupid. God made a covering for them of animal skins. The only way for those animal skins to be applied to Adam and Eve is that the animals had to die. The first sacrifice was offered by God. And it pointed to the final sacrifice, who is Jesus. So, they sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. I love the way Jesus tells this story. Very next line. He was made king, however, and returned home. I mean, that just kind of brings it together, doesn't it? You say, we don't want him to be our king. He was made king, however. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. Let us break their chains, they say. Throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven says, oh no, they're rebelling. No. Psalm 2 says the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. 
You know, oh, that's Old Testament, isn't it? I just want to go with the red letters. Okay, let's go with the red letters, shall we? If, do you have guys ever run into that, people who just, they, they're just red letter Christians? Let's go with the red letters. Let's see how this little story ends. Verse 27. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Jesus doesn't say that when the king returns, he's going to say, okay, you guys, you didn't want me to be your king, so I don't want you to come to dinner. No. Jesus says it's going to be death and destruction. Now, why is that important? Because it's the truth. It is the truth. I have a friend who right now is having surgery for cancer. Now, the reason he's having the surgery is because cancer is deadly. Okay? And if somebody says to him, oh, don't worry about it, I'm sure it'll be fine. That's not love. That's not truth. He's having surgery in hopes of improving his health and prolonging his life. He knows that if he dies, or when he dies, he's going to go to be with the Lord. And there are times when he thinks, you know, I wish the Lord would just go ahead and take me. But until that time, he feels responsible to make the most of the time he has. And that includes taking care of his health. And that includes having surgery this morning while we're in here in chapel. He was sitting there waiting. And he texted me and said, while I'm waiting, I'm praying for you. You see, he's making the most of what he has. What are you doing with what you have? Jesus said to this man who flatly disobeyed him, I'll judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. Well, what did the man say? He said, I know you're a hard man. What was the problem with this guy? Was he just the timid servant? No, he was the wicked servant. Why? Because his view of his master was evil. He was hostile toward his master. He felt that his master was unjust. You take out what you didn't put in. You reap what you didn't sow. I don't think you're fair. I don't think you're just. Jesus says the master's going to say, well, I'll judge you by your own words. If that's the way you see me, if you really believe that about me, why didn't you do what I told you? The reason this guy didn't invest the money was not because he was afraid of the master, it's because he felt the master was unjust and he was going to give him back what he felt the master had coming. Our world is filled with people like that today, and tragically, many churches are. When they encounter certain things in Scripture that just rub them the wrong way, they feel like, well, that can't be true because, and I've heard this personally, I've heard this, because I could never worship that kind of a God. Well, the Bible has a term for people like that. It's called idolaters. They design a God in their own image, and that's what they worship. 
Famous author and speaker Tony Campolo tragically has a son who very publicly and repeatedly and emphatically denies the faith. Years and years and years ago, Tony Campolo visited our home. So I'm not gossiping here. This is all public record. Tony's son, Bart, says that when he decided he couldn't worship God as he's revealed in Scripture, he began to shape his own idea of God, and he said, and eventually I got to where I had a God that I loved and that I worshipped, but I began to realize that the God that I had fashioned is just like me. And I decided that I didn't need that. I didn't need to have a God like me that I could love and worship. I just needed to admit to myself and to others that I don't believe there is a God. Folks, let me tell you, that's the human condition. That's the natural bent of the human heart. We encounter the God who is God and we say, no, I'd rather run and hide. But the problem is Jesus is warning here that the king is going to come again, and when he does, he will reward those who have been obedient, and he will destroy those who are his enemies. That's red-letter stuff. That's according to Jesus. Jesus says judgment is coming. And in Jesus' week that followed, the people would display their hostility to the king. And in 70 AD, the city would be destroyed. Absolutely demolished, and as Jesus said, with tears, not gloating, saying, you're going to get yours. He's saying, oh, if only, if only you knew what would bring you peace. The child of God is not happy to contemplate judgment any more than a doctor is happy to say, this cancer is going to kill you. No. What brings joy is, I can remove that cancer. I know a cure. I know someone who can change your life. Trust in him. That's the joyous proclamation of the good news. It is good news. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he is still today reaching out to people who at this time are still hostile to him. And he's saying, come. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you come? Have you trusted Jesus? Or are you still hoping that you can just somehow squeak by. The fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ was never running for office. Jesus Christ left the throne of glory and came here to save 
the lost. Jesus is now exalted at the Father's right hand. And when he comes again, those who long for his appearing will be rewarded. And those who have hated and refused to believe him will be destroyed. It's urgent that we offer people life because there is life in no one else. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. While you have the time, while you have what God has given you, use it to see it multiply. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.